0: Kids who are headed to Gospel Project, have fun. Um, Everybody else will have fun in here, right? We'll be in John uh, chapter 14, so turn with me there, please. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. We're going to cover a wonderful chapter today. Jesus makes a, a tremendous number of promises in our passage for this morning. Uh, Let me tell you 15 of them, and I'll do it in first person, as Jesus said them. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus said, I will come again and take you to myself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe me that to see me is to see the Father. Believe in me and do greater works than me. Ask in my name and I will do it. I will send you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit will, will dwell in you. I will come to you. You will see me. Because I live, you will live. Love me and be loved by my Father. I will love you and manifest myself to you. Obey me, and the Father and Son will come to you and make our home with you. The Spirit will be sent by the Father, and He will teach and remind you. Peace is yours. That's a lot of promises. All of these are in John chapter 14. Why did Jesus uh, seemingly back up the dump truck and unload so many promises in one conversation? And what is the essence of what he was saying in all of these promises? As Katie DeVoe comes to read John chapter 14 for us, I hope you'll be listening uh, for those things, why all these promises? Why now? What's the essence of them? We read for us.
1: Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also." but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise. Let us go from here.
0: Jesus' disciples had entered uh, the city of Jerusalem just a few days before this passage. And they entered the city on an unbelievable high. What they had heard about and prayed for and read in the Old Testament their whole lives seemed to be coming true. They had read that God was going to send a king, a good king, a powerful king, a king who would restore God's people in God's place under God's blessings, and he would be king forever. This king would never leave. The disciples had come to believe that Jesus was, in fact, that king or that Messiah. They believed that Jesus would take back David's throne, overthrow the Romans, and be king forever. They entered the city with great fanfare as huge crowds praised Jesus, saying, Hosanna, which means save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Their expectation was, we are right on the very cusp of all that we have longed for and ask God to do. Make Israel great again was the expectation that filled the air. But now, just a few days later, during this Passover meal, things had changed. Jesus wouldn't stop talking about his death and his departure. And he keeps saying that the way up in the kingdom is by going down, by humbling oneself. Jesus isn't saying anything about a political kingdom of overthrowing Rome. No, he's talking about power in weakness, victory in apparent defeat, joy that would come after sorrow. And then in the middle of all of that confusion, one of their own, Judas, had been exposed as a fraud and he had left their group. And immediately after that, Jesus had turned to their leader after Jesus, Peter. And Jesus told Peter, before the night is out, you will, in a complete way, Deny that you ever even knew me. Put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine what they were feeling? It is as though all their hopes and dreams and longings and expectations were dumped in a blender and turned on high. It was all just a big mess. Of course, they were in internal turmoil. In just a few hours, every one of these men would scatter in fear. Their king would be killed. And they would believe the very end of all that they'd hoped for was upon them. Trouble makes sense in that context. God wasn't meeting any of their expectations. What about you? Are you troubled? Can you identify something of what the apostles felt in your own heart? As you look at the expectations you've had of God and your own experiences, have you found a gap between the two? And are you troubled? If so, this passage, John 14, has come to you at just the The right moment. And if you're not troubled today, I hope you'll listen nonetheless. Because you may, in fact, find yourself in trouble in the future. Are your circumstances colliding with your expectations in such a way that the result is a spiritual state of delirium? Perhaps a few examples would be helpful. There are people here today with very significant health challenges. You have been diagnosed with something you never heard of. Or if you had heard of it, you certainly didn't expect it to be yours. And it's not going away. There's nothing quite like persistent pain to wear down belief. Others here today are simply disappointed with how your life has turned out. Maybe you've saved yourself for marriage. All you really want is a godly husband and a few kids. But here you are, another year has passed, still no spouse. Why wouldn't God give a godly person what they want? Isn't that a good thing? Or maybe your job stinks. You live paycheck to paycheck, you go in, you work hard, you try to do right, but it's just a tough environment. And no matter what you do or how hard you work, you can't seem to get caught up. Maybe as we sang today, you looked around the room. By the way, wasn't that a wonderful time of worship? And as we looked, as you looked around the room, you saw the emotion present in many people as they sang. And you pretended like you had that emotion too. But really, there's more of a a hollowness, an emptiness in those words for you, then there is a heartfelt experience of the truth. Maybe you have children, they're grown, and you raise them up to follow the Lord, but they are in fact not doing that. They are doing anything but walking toward God running from him. Maybe you're late in life, and you see that to your surprise, your lifespan is going to outlast your income. What a terrifying thing. What will you do? Friends, if, if we look at our circumstances, and we look at how we're dealing with those circumstances, There are lots and lots and lots of reasons to be troubled. And that's to say nothing of what we see beyond our own experience out in the broader world. In the amount of time that we've sat here together this morning already, globally, there have been rapes, there have been murders, there have been fractures between father and son as Todd did so eloquently in his prayer he spoke of the 17 people who were killed this week people who packed their school bags put their lunches in their backpacks went to school never took come home again the world is full of trouble it seems that there's trouble everywhere world's a mess. And yet, verse 1 is in the Bible. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Friend, do you want a quiet heart? Do you want a heart that, regardless of circumstances, is a heart that's at peace? A heart with the ability to sit down on the inside to be comfortable in the life that God's given you to be at peace and content in your circumstances even when there's chaos everywhere if so again you've come to the right place you've come to John chapter 14 Jesus will tell us this morning how to have a quiet heart and he's going to tell us that it's not in a change of circumstances that we can be at peace, but rather in a change of thought, in a change of what we believe. Because the way out of trouble is not for our circumstances to change, but rather it's for our belief in God and our belief in Jesus to be strengthened. So it's my prayer for you today as we walk through this together that God would in fact strengthen you as you turn from trouble and turn to Jesus. Last night I was uh, reading and preparing for this morning. Don't worry, I started before that. But was reading a, a section of sermons written uh, a couple of years after World War II. They're written by a British pastor given in a very famous church called Westminster Chapel in London. And this uh, pastor had been asked to come and speak on the topic of living as untroubled people in troubled times. Now you might think at the end of World War II it would be a time of peace. But if you remember your history, that wasn't the case. Even after the war, there was tremendous fear of nuclear war. And not only that, there was the hope and expectation that now that World War II has ended, prosperity will return. But years later, it didn't. The economy was in shambles. And today, when we think of economic trouble, there's silly things like the political fanfare of closing the government, where one set of leaders is manipulating another set of leaders. That wasn't the case in Britain. In Britain, the economy was so bad that food was being rationed. And so you simply didn't get enough to eat because the government had to determine how to spread food around in an equitable way because there wasn't enough of it. Can you imagine living like that? Well, this pastor, as he was welcomed into Westminster Chapel, chose a text that might be surprising to you. He chose John 14. I didn't think of this till last night to include it, but it won't be on the screen, but let me read you a portion of what he said. This is what I have to offer. It is my privilege to tell you that it's possible for you, whatever your position, whatever your circumstance, whatever your condition, whatever your problem, to be delivered from trouble and distress and pain of mind and of heart, and to know the the peace of God which surpasseth all understanding. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones went on to say that the peace of God is offered to us in John chapter 14. Not the peace that the rationing of food will stop. Not the promise that a nuclear warhead won't come and destroy an entire city. Not the pledge that the spouse you love will return or the child you raised will come back or the disease you have, will be healed. But something deeper, something more important, the reconciliation of people to God. That's what John 14 is about. Friends, there's many things we could look at this morning, each one of those 15 promises I started with, we could spend a morning on. But if we... Zoom out from that micro level looking at each verse and ask the question, how do all these verses fit together? What is their main emphases? What you'll see is that Jesus said not to be troubled but to believe because he promised a place and he promised a person. This morning in our remaining time, I just want to visit with you about those two things, that Jesus promised a place and that Jesus promised person. First, let's start with Jesus' promises, a place. If Yoda were here today, now I have your attention, Yoda would say, a perfect place made for, we were. And Yoda would be right. Friends, we weren't made for a world like the one we live in. We were not to know disease and death, and shootings, and depression, and anxiety, and fractured relationships, and food rationing, and homelessness. And even more than all those things, we were not made to know the absence of a right, connected relationship with our Creator. And yet, in some way, shape, or form, all of us have come to know those things. We live in a busted-up, broken world. Because of Genesis 3, because sin has entered the world, our relationships with God has been fractured. Our relationships with one another have been broken. And every form of evil and chaos and hardship you will ever know has come. Because when things with God fall apart, everything else falls apart too. And yet Jesus, in John chapter 14, says there is a way back to this place. This place of right relationship with God. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. What is the way back to that place? It's Jesus. This moment was so significant in the disciples' lives as they looked back on it. The earliest days of Christianity, Christianity wasn't known as Christianity. It was simply known as the way. You see that in the book of Acts. Friends, the way back to a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus, not long after he told his disciples this, would be arrested. He would be tried. He would be placed on a cross. And on that cross, because Jesus had lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, he was able to open his arms in love and offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice. Meaning, Jesus died bearing the full weight of God's wrath upon himself for all the sin of all the people who would ever believe in Christ. That means that as he was vindicated in his resurrection, His arms are still wide open in love, offering you through Him the way back to that place, that place of right relationship with God. Now, yes, it comes in stages. And by that I mean a Christian today, someone who has trusted Christ, is not yet physically in the place of being right with God, meaning not in heaven. And yet we are fully, completely, reconciled, justified, declared right with God today. And so the confidence we can have even in the midst of trouble and even in the midst of living in a troubled place is that we have already been given the gift of being back established in a right place with God and that one day Jesus will come for us to bring us to the place where he is. John wrote of this in the last book in the Bible, John 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridegroom, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Don't you long for that? That is the confidence we have as brothers and sisters in Christ that because of what God has already done and already said and how He has welcomed us already back into a place of right relationship with Him, then we have the full hope and expectation that what John looked forward to, we too look forward to. We don't know when Jesus will come in that way, but He will in fact come. And so Jesus' promise of that place is what enables us to believe. It is the content of what we believe. And if we believe in Him in that place, then the circumstances of our lives and the troubles that they may include will not be able to unsettle our hearts. I don't know who that was, so I can't make fun of you. Some of you, if I make fun of you, will be hurt. Others will enjoy. <laughs> Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Friend, the way out of trouble is not for your circumstances to change, but f- for the focus of your eyes to shift from your troubles to the promise of the place of right relationship with God forever. Now, the second thing Jesus said in John 14, the latter half, verses 15 to 31, is fairly complex. But the essence of it is that Jesus promises a person, namely the Holy Spirit, now, he does so in this way. Jesus pulls us into some incredibly deep theology as he's done the last several weeks in which he says the essence of the Christian life, the essence of being in right relationship with God is to be welcomed into the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's to be included In the union of the Trinity. Now, I don't pretend to understand that completely and fully. If you do, feel free to instruct me afterwards. I think there are truths here that we can look in longingly for the rest of our lives. And yet, what is clear is, in fact, clear. There is God the Father who is in charge, who is perfect and good and just He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way to the Father. And the work of the Father was done by Jesus, and the work of Jesus is applied to our lives by the Spirit. And so to be a Christian isn't mainly to sit in a church service, to stop particular habits and start better ones to vote a certain way. To be a Christian, mainly, is to be caught up into, by God's grace, the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Is that not astonishing? Jesus says the way all of that works itself out in your life Is through the person of the Holy Spirit. John 14 shows us that if we would know a quiet heart, it would be because we believe. And if we would believe, it would be because the Holy Spirit is in us constantly, consistently, faithfully, confidently reminding us of the truth of God's Word. But let's be honest. Don't be troubled. Believe. And then, let me fill you with the Spirit. That's pretty weird. What does that actually mean? The chapter tells us tells us first who the Spirit is. Three different names are used for him in this chapter. One, helper. Two, spirit of truth. And three, Holy Spirit. Now, what does he do? Well, let's just consider each of those names for a moment. First, another helper. Look at verse 16 and you'll see that. I'm not the smartest person in the room, but if Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper, what was he saying? This wasn't the first helper. So who was the first helper? Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here. And that caused all this distress among his disciples. But he said, I'm going to send another helper, a helper who's like me, a helper who's going to do the same things that I do, a helper who, in fact, it's Better if that helper comes because he won't just be with you. Where will he be? He will be in you. Christian, you not only have God with you, you have God taken up residence inside of you. What a claim. So transformative is the work that Jesus Christ did for you, that when you believed, you were born again. And that born-againness caused the dead part of you to leave and the life of God to come inside. That's amazing. Now, will you, in fact, always feel that way? No. You lived, however long you lived prior to that moment, in a state of hostility and independence from God. Your mind learned how to live in such a way that you reject God, whether you recognize that or not. And so for me, I was 11, and I had developed a remarkable capacity in only 11 years to live arrogantly and independently and in hostility towards God. And so from 11 to 41, what have I been doing? I have been being beat up by troubles, humbled, and taught again and again and again. You're a moron. Don't live your life trying to be independent of God, but rather dependent humbly upon Him, listening to the Spirit speak the words of God changing me as I again am brought to repentance and belief. That's what the Spirit does. He's a helper. He's a helper who does what Jesus did. And in that way, it's better that Jesus himself is not standing here because Jesus, as he was standing there with the disciples, was not in fact in them. Now, what else did this chapter tell us about Jesus? Well, it says that he's the spirit of truth. So what does the spirit do? Some of you are from what might be called a uh, a mystical or spiritual charismatic background. So you may have grown up or visited a church in which people are constantly begging God to do something new. And they're speaking in gibberish, No one's saying what that gibberish means. You're even told if you can't talk like that, you're not a Christian. And they're praying for God to manifest Himself by some miraculous healing. Now, can God heal? Yes, I'd be okay if one came my way. But what is the work of the Spirit today, mainly? Well, according to John 14... His work is to repeat the truth. He is, you know on your phone where you can push the little button and hear the same song you like over and over and over. The Spirit is the little button pusher repeating to us what God says in His Word and doing it over and over and over. Because you and I are blockheads. We don't remember We are constantly disbelieving. And yet, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, has been placed within so that we can't, in fact, wander away permanently. The Spirit will bring us back again and again and again to the truthfulness of what God has said in His Word. You know when you're reading the scriptures and something clicks that hasn't before? Or when you're walking through your day and suddenly praying for a particular person comes to mind? Or a verse you learned years ago comes to mind? Or a thought that you know, despite how great you are, is holier and wiser than you? These are all experiences we have of the Spirit doing the Spirit's work. Not some bizarre, weird thing, but repeat, repeating what Jesus has said. This is what the Spirit does. And then that last title used of the Spirit is that He's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's job, Christian, is to convince you of sin, convict you of it, and bring you back to a place in which you are repenting, and walking rightly by grace with God. If you're not finding repentance as a frequent experience, then you're not listening to the Spirit, because that's what the Spirit will be doing guiding us always and forever away from sin, back into the truthfulness of what God has said and what God has given us. Look at verse 25 and 26 where this is summarized much faster than I just did it. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Friends, we need not be troubled. No matter how troubling your circumstances There is a way to have a quiet heart. There is a way to sit down on the inside. There is a way to be a person of peace. That way is Jesus Christ. And Jesus has promised us in John 14 a place. And he's promised us a person. Our role is to believe. To trust. There are days in which it's hard to do so. Are there not? You don't have to drum up this belief in yourself. You can come to God in prayer and say, God, I desire to believe, but I, in fact, don't believe very much right now. The Holy Spirit will do what He does then. He will take the words of God and apply them to your heart. And encourage you. Because even our belief in God is maintained by the Spirit of God given to us, living in us. Isn't that amazing? In the early 1900s, there was a great author named W.H. Auden. Late in his life, After being a hardened atheist, he became a Christian. And as you can imagine, his friends among the elite thought he had totally lost his mind. One of them wrote to him and said, why in the world would you believe that craziness? To which this great writer wrote back. I believe because he fills none of my dreams because he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I had made him in my own image. Friends, Jesus does not promise the absence of hardship, the removal of difficulty, the presence of health, wealth, and ease. His sights are set on something far bigger and better, That is the reconciliation of you back to him. The promise of a place with him forever. And the spirit as the guarantee that his person would be bringing you safely into the literal arms of your Savior. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus, and you will find, regardless of the external trouble, your heart at ease. Will you pray with me? Before I voice a prayer for all of us, why don't you take a moment, just in quiet reflection, asking God to use His Spirit to speak to you. Father, my friends, my dear brothers and sisters in this room are facing all kinds of troubles. There are internal hardships and external constraints that press down on us. And yet we share what the disciples had. That is the experience of hearing the truth. The truth is, that we can, in fact, reach a place in which we are not troubled. And that quietness of heart, that peace, that experience of tranquility, God can be present in even the most pressing of circumstances. We cannot, in fact, drum that up in ourselves. We don't possess that kind of power, and yet you do. So I come to you this morning on behalf of my friends and ask you, God, that you would help us to believe in the Father, believe in the Son, to receive the work that Jesus did by means of the Spirit, even now. Bring comfort to us as we cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. Father, I also pray for those in the room who have not yet given their lives to Christ. Father, would you now open their eyes and ears and hearts to the gospel, to the truth of what Jesus has done. And might they come to you in prayer even now, accepting the gift of salvation. Or after the gathering in just a moment, visit with whoever brought them or one of the pastors. God, we would love to see people trust in Christ today for the very first time. And Father, may we be a community, a church, full of people who don't pretend that we are not troubled, but who are consistently, by grace, turning from trouble and turning to trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.